0: Apparently, I'm a practice area senior manager. I'm also quick-witted, efficient, and I'm a self-starter. Apparently, I live in Sydney and graduated from the University of Hong Kong. I left Hong Kong when I was one, so that makes me a child genius. For fun, I looked up Finn, and this is the first (laughs) thing that came up. Uh, Looking at his description there, he's either really humble or really just couldn't be bothered. (laughs) (laughs) Boasting. If there's one place that we're allowed to do it, it's in a place like LinkedIn. Our world is based on merit, and so in one sense, you've got to boast. Most of you don't know what you want to do after uni, and so you'll end up in the APS. Uh, The APS has 5,500 applications every year, And there's 1,000 grad positions to fill. How do they work out which 20% get in? It's not grace. It's merit. Some of you hope it's grace. (laughs) Have you noticed that every university is the top of something? UC is the top university for graduate employment. ACU is top 10 when it comes to Catholic universities. But at ANU, the ANU, will never boast that we'll go to the ANU. Which is why Harry Hartogs can charge 85 bucks for an ANU hoodie. Whereas if you replace ANU with Star Wars or ACDC, you can get it for 22 bucks at Aldi. That is, our world is built on merit. And where there's merit, boasting follows. They say you can tell how important a country is by their airport. Who here knows which airport this one is? It's Singapore, right? <laughs> the gateway to Asia. The hub of investment and commerce. You look at it and you go, it's an important city. Who here Who knows, knows which it? airport this is? <laughs> <laughs> it's Canberra. So maybe we're not quite as important as Singapore, are we? <laughs> But boasting isn't just a secular thing. It's also a religious thing. Here's a picture of Mecca. This is St. Peter's Basilica. This is the Temple Mount at Jerusalem. What's in common? They're all big. They all scream wealth. And they all speak of history and culture. That is, at the epicentre of religion, there's much to boast about. Which is ironic, because the biblical figure in today's reading is central to all three religions. But he had no building to live in. He had no degree to speak of. Uh, He never wrote any books. In fact, no one knows who his parents were. In fact, he was a nomad. And he walked on this earth at around 2000 BC. But God made some big promises to him. And it's up here in the Bible, um, in Genesis 15. And it says this, Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven, number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God promised that Abraham would have offspring as numerous as the stars. And this promise has been at the centre of religious disagreement. Who are the offspring of Abraham? Muslims claim to be Abraham's offspring. Jews claim to be Abraham's offspring. Yet Christians claim to be Abraham's true offspring. And it seems like a distant question to us. But it's a key issue of contention with Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, which means that it's a key question for close to 60% of the world. Uh, who here watches The West Wing? Are a few. There you go. Um, they ran a special episode post 9/11, and they framed the issue of 9/11 as a religious disagreement. Who are Abraham's sons? Is it Islam? Is it Judaism? Is it Christianity? And today in Romans, we're going to see that this is one of the key questions at the heart of religion. And it has to do with the issue of boasting. So, firstly, that's the begin, and we see that boasting is excluded. Now, when we read Romans, it's important to follow the questions being asked, because the questions will give you Paul's argument. So just before today's passage, we've heard momentous news. Jesus has died for our sins. We're not saved by our own works. We're saved by faith. But the question follows in 327. What then becomes of our boasting? The answer, we've got to read on. It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now, how Paul used the word law here can seem a little bit confusing. We have the law of works, and then we have the law of faith. And the question we've got to ask is, what is the law of works, and what is the law of faith? Now, I think this slide came up a little bit earlier. So just talk to the person next to you. I'm keen to hear what you think. So just for about 30 seconds, let's talk to the people around you. What do you think Paul means by the law of works, and what does he mean here by the law of faith? about 30 seconds let's come back after that all right keen to hear your thoughts what do you guys reckon what is the law of works what is the law of faith how does it all work any brave souls otherwise i'll pick on who should i pick on today i'll pick on chris (laughs) any thoughts from you guys <laughs> um, the law of works is probably the law of Moses from yep. the Old Testament. The law of faith is um, Jesus Christ and the law that Paul is espousing. Yeah. Okay. So one's Moses and the, and the Ten Commandments kind of law. One's one's Jesus. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Vincent. So, how I interpreted it was a law of faith all along from the very beginning. And people just misinterpreted it as a law of works. But it was never about works to begin with. It was always about faith. Okay, so the law of works was actually the law of faith from the beginning. Interesting. Alright, my answer has all got to do with grammar. Which some of you are like, oh, And some of you are like, yeah. The thing about words is that they can mean different things depending on their context. So the word bat, it can be nocturnal animals capable of sustained flight. Uh, it could be that kind of wooden thing that you use to hit a red ball in that game they call cricket. Uh, it could be that thing you do with your eyelashes when you're attracted to, when you have a romantic interest. <laughs> the word law. In Romans, it's usually the law given through Moses. It's usually the Ten Commandments. But here I think it means a governing principle. So if I drop this clicker, PowerPoint clicker, The law of gravity, the principle of gravity means that it will always fall down, right? In that sense, it's a principle. And so, why is boasting excluded? It's because we're no longer governed by the principle, the law of works, but we're governed by the principle of faith. Now, faith is a funny word. Today, we use it to mean spirituality. We have faith groups, there's interfaith chaplains secular media doesn't care what faith you have as long as you believe in spirituality you're a person of faith but faith in the bible is different it's basically another way of saying belief trust and so if the principle is works then there's boasting you can say that you're a moral person but if the principle is faith that's dependence that's trust on someone else and so law will lead you to trust yourself, but faith will lead you to trust someone else. And if your trust is in the God who will save you, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. So that's part one of today's passage, boasting. But part two, Paul gives us a case study, and he uses, of all people, Abraham. And so we're going to see the gospel according to Abraham. Now, Abraham was a Jewish founding father. Uh, who are Abraham's offspring? By blood, it's the Israelites. From Abraham came the 12 tribes of Israel. But Paul uses the Jewish founding father to say that Abraham was a gospel man, not a law man. So, how was Abraham saved? Let's just pull up Genesis 15 again. Now, Paul quotes verse 6 there in today's part of the reading in Romans 4. And it's there in verse 3. Have a look. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The word believed there literally means faith. Abraham had faith and righteousness was counted to him. And we have an illustration, verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as, as is due. That is, when your pay packet arrives every Thursday, do you look at your bank account and rejoice? Your boss is so generous. No. It's expected, right? But if I come home with flowers to Mathea, and after the initial shock, and I explain to her that it's not an apology, <laughs> and it's not a bribe, A gift that's not an apology or a bribe. Now that really is a gift, right? (laughs) And there's no ulterior motive. And that's righteousness. It's given to us. Look at verse 5. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted (coughs) as righteousness. Abraham, uh, Abraham had done nothing. In fact, he's in the category of ungodly. He simply had faith. And God gave righteousness. And if you weren't convinced, Paul illustrates it further when he talks about circumcision. Uh, I was wrestling with uh, how to explain circumcision. Uh, So I asked ChatGBT to explain it to an eight-year-old child. uh, And this is what it said. Uh, Circumcision is when a small piece of skin called the foreskin is removed from a guy's private area. It's like giving that part a little haircut, so to speak. You, you get the idea. <laughs> but it was a marker of Jewish identity. If you're Jewish, you're circumcised. The two go hand in hand. And who did circumcision come through in the Bible? It came through Abraham in Genesis 17. But Paul makes this point. God's promise to Abraham came in Genesis 15... Circumcision came in the Bible in Genesis 17. And he asks a question about timing. Look at verse 10 there. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. My question for you is this. Why is the timing of circumcision important? Why does Paul say it's important that Abraham was counted righteous before circumcision? Okay, You've got one minute. Go for it, and I would love to hear your thoughts after that. Let's come back together. Any thoughts? Why is the timing important? Yeah, Josh. Yeah, there you go. I think that's spot on. So if you're tempted to say that circumcision is a work and that you're saved because you're circumcised, well when was Abraham given righteousness? It was actually when he was uncircumcised. You see, God didn't save the circumcised. He saved Abraham before he could do anything that could be considered a work, even circumcision. And so who are Abraham's offspring? It's actually not Jewish people. It's not the circumcised. But verse 11, it's those who have faith without being circumcised. Now, justification is being declared right. It's the judge saying this person is not guilty. And Romans 4 is saying we're declared right by faith. Now, this idea is always under threat. Uh, There's a New Testament scholar by the name of N.T. Wright. Uh, He's a prominent author. Uh, He's a significant contributor to a movement called the New Perspective on Paul. This is going to stretch you a little bit, but we'll see how we go. I've got here a quote, and he writes this. As we saw, Paul makes a clear distinction between the future justification, the verdict which will be issued on the last day on the basis of the totality of the life led, and the present justification, which is the verdict announced on the basis of nothing but Messiah faith. It's going to be a little bit tricky, It we'll stretch you a little bit. He makes a distinction between future justification what God will say about us in the last day, and present justification, what God says about us now. My question for you is this. Have a look at that quote. According to N.T. Wright, how are you saved? Okay, you've got two minutes, and then we'll come back together and see how we go. Go for it. Come back together. Any thoughts? Now, there's a bunch of guys outside the back, and the wonderful thing of actually moving and sitting at the front. So, what do you guys recommend? <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy? We no idea. No idea I guess. Yeah, Jeremy. Um, I've kind of forgotten the question, but um, <laughs> would it be that um, one observation I had was that present just. very important because it gives us assurance about our future justification if we know right now that we're justified because of jesus we know that in the future we will be right with god because we are right with god now and it's because of faith and the promise that god has given and because of what jesus has done not because of the quality of our life and how yeah Yeah, that's terrific and that's going to be romans 5 next week so our present justification should guarantee our future justification So how we're saved now should affect how we're saved on that last day. But just have a look at the quote. It's a little bit slippery, right? He says at the end that we're saved presently on the basis of faith. But when we stand before God on that last day, what will he look at? He'll look at the totality of your life lived. And so according to N.T. Wright, are you saved on the principle of works? Or are you saved on the principle of faith? Does your present justification guarantee your future one? I think, with him, in one sense, no. He actually says you're saved both through your life lived and faith. Principle of works, principle of faith, he says both, I think. But Paul says God justifies the ungodly. It's got nothing to do with how I live. The whole point is that he takes an unworthy person and he gives them the status of not guilty. And thank goodness for that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was locked up um, by the Nazi regime responsible for concentration camps and the World War, said this: Nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. When I stand before God on that last day, I'm glad I don't have to give God a list of referees. If God looked at the totality of my life lived, I'm glad I can actually be honest and say that I'm a sinner and that I had faith in Jesus. You see, the gospel was there with Abraham. And we see really that the gospel there in Abraham really just leads us to the gospel in Jesus. And so that's our last point today, the gospel according to Jesus. Now, Abraham was a man of faith. But what is the object of Abraham's faith? Who did he trust in? Verse 17, it's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. as he believed in the God of the resurrection. If you go back to the Abraham story, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah's womb was barren. Just imagine going up to a 100-year-old couple and promising them offspring. Yet look at verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. But does he believe that God could do what was humanly impossible. That is, if God could bring, make the world and bring life into existence from nothing, then he can give life to a couple that's well past their childbearing years. But I do have one final question for you to wrestle with. It's the last one. It says here that Abraham did not weaken in faith. It says that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But when you read the Genesis accounts of Abraham, it seems to me that he did waver. So Genesis 15, you have God's promises to him. Genesis 17 is circumcision. But what happens in Genesis 16? There's actually no kids. And so they devise a plan. Abraham sleeps with his servant Hagar. And they have a child through Hagar. And so that's Genesis 16. And it seemed that Abraham did waver. And so my question for you is this. If that's the case, how can Paul say that Abraham did not weaken in his faith? Okay, you have one minute, and we'll come back after that. All right. Let's see some thoughts. Anyone got any thoughts? Tricky question, this one. what do you reckon toby I Have no idea. Have no idea. <laughs> hands up if you have no idea yeah okay <laughs> all right let me give this a stab one of the remarkable things about the bible is that the heroes are always flawed most of them are adulterers murderers and thieves and so if abraham was presented as a flawless person what paradigm do you think we've fallen back to we've actually fallen back to the paradigm of works but Abraham lived by the paradigm of faith. And so he did sin. Genesis 16, he sinned. But he sinned as a gospel man. And because he never left the paradigm of faith, even Abraham, an adulterer who mistreated Sarah, can be seen in this positive life light. And it's actually because God justifies the ungodly. It actually underscores this passage that even the adulterer Abraham, as he trusted in God, is seen as someone who, in this positive life, is saved and his faith grew stronger. And that's a wonderful truth, because it actually gives us assurance. You see, we may sin like Abraham, but if we have faith in the one that raised Jesus from the dead, then it means that we're still saved. And that's what it says in verse 23. "But the words that was counted to him was not written for His sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him and raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification." You see, merit-based religion, it's just exhausting. All it does is that it takes away assurance. You remember N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, that quote we wrestled with? There was an Aussie scholar that went up to him, and he asked him this question. It's the middle of the night, the phone rings, you look at your watch, it's about 2.30 in the morning. You hear the quivering voice of an old lady in your parish. Tom, the doctor says I only have a few minutes to live. I'm scared. Come and see me. So you hastily get dressed, jump in your car, drive over to her place. The doctor backs away, leaves you alone. The doctor whispers as you goes out the door. She only has about 10 minutes to live. You go in, she takes your hand in her two trembling, frail old hands. And she says to you, Tom, what must I do to be saved? What will you say? What do you think Tom Wright said? Celebrated scholar? Famous author, he said, That's a good question. I'll have to think about it. That is, whenever works creeps in, assurance slips away. Christ was raised for our justification. He lives, he constantly speaks to God on our behalf, saying, I've paid for Kevin's sins. And on that final day, he will say that for us by faith. In 1975, on an island in the Philippines, they found a Japanese soldier still fighting World War II, 29 years after the war was over. Don't keep fighting a war that's over. God has won the war for you, Jesus has died for your sins. He's been raised. Surrender your life to him and have assurance. Over the break I discovered the Lifeline Book Fair. Mathia said I'll come home with five books, I came home with 20. I'll never read them but I thought I'll throw in a humble brag. Um, But it forced us to look at our bookshelf and I discovered this thing sitting there. It's got evangelism explosion. It was written in the 80s and the 80s was a long time ago. I was born in the 80s. There are two questions that are asked that I think are pertinent today. If you were to die tonight, are you sure you have eternal life? And if God asks you why he should let you in, what would you say? If you don't know the answer to that question, can I encourage you, look to Abraham. 60% of the world looked to him and sadly they missed the point. It's simply depending on God and not yourself. And can I encourage you to look to Jesus? He died for your sins, and he will speak to you when he comes back. And if you want to have assurance of your salvation, it's very simple. And the beautiful thing about faith is that all you have to do is ask. I want to pray a quick prayer. It's a prayer that expresses dependence on him. And if you want to pray that prayer just to echo it in your heads it simply says this dear god i'm sorry that i depend on myself and not you thank you for jesus who died for me and was raised and please forgive me help me live a life of faith not one of self-achievement and if you do that god will hear you uh, and he will save you on that last day how about we pray that together dear god i'm sorry that i depend on myself and not you Thank you for Jesus who died for me and was raised. Please forgive me. Please help me to live a life by faith in you and not through my own achievements. Amen. Amen. We hand the time back to Finn and Liz, but if you prayed that prayer, that's wonderful. We'd love to hear from you. There's a little tick box on your comment slip. Uh, If you you just tick that, uh, we'd love to get in touch.